Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Poznanski. Uh, with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, but you hesitated for a second. Well, there. here's like, why I hesitated. What happened? Normally, in that setting, I will tell you the podcast America's number one sports podcast. But mm-hmm. then I I was past it, and in my mind, <laughs> I was like, Do I go back? Do I go back and say, or or is it? Are we at a point where everybody is so well aware? that we're America's number one sports podcast and I don't have to go back. No, I think, look, when you're America's number one sports podcast, you've got to, you got to trumpet the, that fact out as often as you can. I think that's you right. You know what I mean? I think that's right. And that was the pause. Yeah. The pause was, okay. do I go back? Do I, do I go forward? What do I do? Um, you know, and, and I, I eventually did go back and, and you did. Thank people. you for that. I think it's, I, I just think that there's not any number of times that's too many that you can announce to people that without any data or factual right. support, that's right. We are America's number one sports. We are America's podcast. number one sports. Fans. That's right. That's right. Um, in fact, I have an idea. So, so we are going to be discussing the. This World is a technically an emergency. This is, is an emergency kind of, podcast. It is an emergency podcast because the World Series is over. So we will get to that uh, very minute forty three. Minute forty three. Exactly. But in the first place, I need I needed to ask you this question. This is the question. Okay. As America's number one sports podcast, I've had, you know, the how many people work for us now? What would you the say? The full, full-time staff is 65. 65 and full-time. Full-time, and then there's another 20 or so who are who are part-time workers. Part-timers, right. So we had a full meeting, as you all know, the other mm-hmm. day. And in the meeting, it was discussed, we need to start charging our mm-hmm. best listeners Eight dollars a month to be verified. That's that's, that's right. my that's the idea. Uh, we we charge not everybody, not everybody, but if you want to be a verified listener of America's number one sports podcast, and who doesn't, by the way, right? Eight dollars a month. A couple things here. Obviously, we don't have a way right now to know whether or not you're actually listening. So this is going to be on the honor system. That's right. You have that's to, right. It's a, you're, we're going to set up an account. Every month you put $8 in that account. That's right. And look, we're going to be totally honest. We won't know if you didn't listen (laughs) and we won't have any way of verifying whether you are a verified listener. That's right. So this is purely honor system. We're relying on your ethics, frankly, sure, to to give us $8 a month. (laughs) That's the first thing. The second thing is- What are the benefits um, of being a a podcast verified listener? You get to hear the podcast as soon as it's released. That's right. That's right. right. So you you can be one of the- No delays. As soon as it drops, you can go ahead and listen. You could just click play and you'll hear it. 
Uh, and then also just our our undying respect and admiration. Sure, which, sure. If that isn't worth $8 a month, I don't know what is. <laughs> and uh, here's the other thing, though. If you impersonate us, if you parody oh, us, if you pretend that? that you are Joe Posnanski or Mike Shore, uh, you're, banned, you're banned for life. For life. Right? Banned yeah. immediately. And by the way, because because no, of the Constitution, because of free speech and the Constitution somehow. I don't know <laughs> well, how, but, but that's the reason. <laughs> but but here's my question. What if they parody us, but they they make it clear that it's a parody? Like maybe they're wearing a shirt that says right. parody on it or something. Okay, like great. That. Great question. If you make it clear that it's a parody, then that's totally fine. Yes. And that's allowable. Fine. However, you will also be banned for reasons that it's in difficult to explain. <laughs> so sign up. I'm just saying sign up. Oh, by the way, we don't know how to sign up. Either. Let me ask you this. So, okay. So Elon Musk uh, is the world's, at least at one point recently, was the world's richest person. That's right. And he could have continued just being the world's richest person. Oh, yeah. And and making cool cars and launching rockets into space and talking about how he was the basis for Iron Man and all that stuff. <laughs> right. And had, and had what, and had a life that is greater and more fulfilling, at least in its possibilities, than anyone in human history, That's I would right. say. That's right. Right? He can get on his private jet, as he has done, and flown seven minutes from San Jose <laughs> to San Francisco or whatever, at the whatever he wants. Right. He can eat it at a restaurant in the world. He can fly to any location in the world. He can go into literally go into outer space on one of his own rockets. Right. There's not a single person who wouldn't meet with him. Not a single right. person on Earth. He will be uh, invited to the White House for every president who's who's uh, elected. He can meet with any foreign leader. He can buy any home he wants on any continent he wants at any That's moment. Right. He could whatever, do whatever. Literally, there are no restrictions on his none. life. None. However, <laughs> he has what I call billionaire brainworm disease. And what happens with billionaire brainworm disease is that you start believing that what you are owed. And what you are capable of goes far beyond what anyone has ever been given or taken or earned or bought or whatever. Right. And so what that means to him is he says to himself, I'm irritated at certain things about the website twitter.com. <laughs> so I'm going to buy it. And when I buy it, and this is where billionaire brainworm disease really affects you. I am going to fix it. This right. is the, right. it's not fundamentally different from Donald Trump saying, I alone can fix it, right? He, right. They, the billionaire brainworm disease leads billionaires who have had success in one uh, version of life or another. It leads them to believe that they can fix anything uh, that is wrong with anything anywhere instantly. Like, Correct. And that's when, when Musk buys Twitter, he swoops in there and he tells all his employees, you have seven days to figure out how to do X, Y, and Z or you're fired. And then he fires like half the staff. <laughs> and then he's like, wait a second. I just realized that I need some of those people to help me with the things I want to do. So complete, wait, come back. Come back. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and all of this is the billionaire brainworm disease of, I in his mind, I think he genuinely believed I just need to buy it and then I'll fix it really quickly and I'll show everybody I'm so much smarter than everybody else that I will just I'll fix all the things that need fixing. That's right. He's never run a tech company before, no, a no social idea. media company before. He's no idea what it involves. He clearly spent zero time researching how what the issues were. 
in his mind, he's just like, well, I'm Elon Musk, so all I have to do is buy it and then I'll just tell everyone what to do and then they'll do it. And my ideas are so much better than everybody else's ideas that then everything will be magically fixed. And so all of his lashing out and his like reacting to people who were like raising their hands and saying, you're an idiot. This isn't working. This is a bad idea. He, he, it's just double down, double down, double down, double down. Like it, the part of this disorder is the complete inability to go like, Ooh, boy, I guess I was wrong. Or this is more complicated than I thought. Like you can't ever admit that because then you're saying that you're not the world's greatest living human being, the smartest person who ever walked the earth, et cetera, et cetera. So now you're just in this situation where he bought this thing for a very large amount of money and is yelling and screaming and saying, it's total free speech. This is a public square, but also it's $8 to post, which is not free. The, the word is free. The term is free speech, not $8 a month speech. That's right. And and also it's total free speech and comedy's back on Twitter. But if you impersonate me, you're banned forever. But I don't believe in permabans. But however, I do believe in permabans for these people because they did this thing that's free speech. And he just keeps, he's in this loop. Oh, he he, he can't, can't get out of the loop. He can't get out of the loop. All right. So it, here's a couple of thoughts on that. One, Yes, I believe having having encountered um, a couple of billionaires in my own life just through through various means that they are they're not like any of us. They're not no. they don't understand they've, they've literally never had a worry a concern in their lives. They don't understand any of this stuff. okay. But also what I would say is part of it is the trap of being a billionaire because here's the thing. there are probably lots of people, who in a bar somewhere or hanging out with friends or whatever said, man, give me an hour. I'd fix Twitter, man. I could, I could totally like that place is a joke. They're ridiculous. They're banning people. That's not free speech. I could totally fix that. And of course it doesn't matter because they, they can't afford, you know, anything. So, so they're just saying that this guy can afford it. So, so, I don't think anybody would doubt that this was some incredibly weird night of drinking that he had where he's like, you know what? I can not only fix Twitter, I will. I'm buying it. And then he spent the next three months trying to get out of the Trying to get out of it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And now he couldn't get out of it. And now it's like, yes, I'm the super genius and I'm only I know. But these ideas, that's what's so funny. I think you actually have... uh, talked about this and you tweeted about this. These ideas, like if you and I got into a room with like some of our buddies, we'd come up with better ideas to fix Twitter. I mean, they're so basic and stupid and like literally, they're like the first ideas thrown out in a meeting where one person goes, no, we can't charge people who are famous and and are really the only reasons anybody comes to Twitter. We can't charge them to put on their own, like, to give us content. Like, that would literally be the first thing they'd be like, we're going to charge Taylor Swift $8 a month to, like, like, it's the stupidest idea that's ever been. Oh, and we're also going to charge people $8 a month to pretend to be Taylor Swift. I mean, like, everything about it is so ridiculous and nonsensical, and yet, this is what he's got. Like This, this is, is what he's got. he's got. Yeah, no, we now know what he's got, and it's this. And his idea, this is, this is where it's really funny to me, okay? So he has this 
idea that he's trying to make stick, which is that the old system was a sort of haves and have nots system that is anti-democratic because certain people were verified and other people weren't. And that created a sort of like classist Twitter system. (laughs) So his solution to this is to let anyone be verified. Right. And the hilarious thing about this, which I am far from the first person to point out, is that the purpose of verification wasn't to give people like some kind of Twitter advantage. Right. It was simply to say, this is the real Taylor Swift. It's not a fake Taylor Swift. <laughs> it's right. act- this is actually Taylor Swift. That's all it was. It was. It's literally called verification. We are verifying that this is the actual person that they say they are, so there's no confusion. And if you, if anyone can be verified, then that's not verification. That's just, a, that's a subscription. So he is trying to suggest that his system for raising money, which is to allow anyone to be, in quotes, verified <laughs> for $8 a month, is somehow more democratic. It's not more democratic. No. It's more, it's more money. It's more revenue. And I if guess. that's what you're doing, fine. But he's trying to square his plan for making money with the some kind of, idea that this is more inherently populist or democratic, which it is not in any way, shape or form. And in fact, it is the opposite of a sort of a, a, like a, a, I don't know what you call it, a, a, a free market system, because if everyone can just pay $8 and achieve the same status as anybody else in terms of, and he has talked about how, if you're not verified, if you don't buy into his system, then you won't get that. You'll have to scroll for hours and hours and hours in order to see what they tweeted. So that's the opposite of a sort of populist system That's right. because you're now literally saying, unless you pay me, your speech will be suppressed. It will actually be, it will be less available to people. So, I I really we've seen this with um with billionaire sports owners like yes. we saw it when we when we got obsessed briefly for one day with what the guy who owns the Panthers David yes. uh, Tepper is that his name Tepper yeah yeah so he when in that press conference that he gave that grouchy angry <laughs> aggressive weird press conference. That is the attitude of a guy who made billions of dollars in one industry. That's right. Had got drunk one night, had the thought, <laughs> if I owned a football team, I would make it the best football team because I'm the best. Bought the Panthers. The Panthers suck. Terrible. Everything he does is wrong. Every personnel decision is wrong and bad. And then he has to face the music. And his attitude isn't, man, it turns out running a football team is really hard. Right. I could use some help here. His attitude is... This team is bad, but it's not my fault. I'm amazing. It's the fault of all of you people, the reporters and the fans and the coaches and the players. I did everything right. You guys are the problem. And it's such a crazy thing to watch play out in real time. It's really kind of wonderful. I love it. It's so funny. All of these people, you know, you you make the point about, about Elon Musk living the life that he could have lived. By buying Twitter, no matter what, look, even if he had the best ideas for fixing Twitter, for doing whatever, even if he had genius ideas, he was putting himself in the public square where he was going to get ripped by people day and night, nonstop. You Mm -hmm. own Twitter, you are going to get ripped. I mean, that's just, there's no question. And and it's, it's lunacy that you would put yourself in that public square for no reason at all, which is exactly what he did. He did it on a lark for no reason. And to me, it's the same thing when you buy a sports team. 
You look, you want to buy a sports team because you love, like if you're Steve Cohen, who we have talked about many times on this podcast, mm-hmm. he's a gigantic Mets fan. He's right. got a ton of money. He wants the Mets to win. He wants to make the Mets win. Like there's a reason that he is owning a, the owner of the New York Mets and might not be the best reason. He might not be the best guy, but there's a clarity of vision and he knows point out that if he screws up, he is getting torn apart by Mets fans because he's one of them. He knows right. it, right? right? So that's one thing. But you're David Tepper, and you step into a situation where basically the team is for sale because the other guy was like a scumbag, and suddenly you're in, you're like, oh, I'm going in. I'm fixing this. All right, somebody should have told him like, hey, man, just, just, just a spitballing here. You're gonna get torn apart yeah, publicly. Just know what you're, you're an in unbelievably for. Yeah. rich guy. Yeah. You're an unbelievably rich guy, and you are going to get absolutely torn apart if you do this. Now, if you want to do that, great, then accept it. And you know, there's also the chance that you're gonna win and you'll get celebrated beyond anything else in, in your life, and all that's great. But you are putting yourself in the square. You don't have to be. You're a billionaire. You don't have to ever. No one ever knows your name. <laughs> no one knows who you are. You are an anonymous billionaire. That's it's right. the greatest way to go through life <laughs> to have billions of dollars and no one knows who you are. But this is a great point. This is a great point you're making. Here's the other thing that needs to be said about this. If you're a billionaire and you buy a sports team, the goal is very clear. Yes. You want to win the Super Bowl. That's right. That's why Jerry Jones has been losing his mind slowly <laughs> year after year for the last 30 years. That's right. Because he won a bunch of Super Bowls and he was then convinced of his own genius. Yep. And ever since then, nothing he's done is good. And he has a, he was physically restrained from drafting Johnny Manziel because he's so bad. He's so bad at running a football team. He has no idea what he's doing and he's been losing his mind ever since. But the point is, okay, you're an anonymous billionaire. You're Steve, you're Steve Cohen, who wasn't quite anonymous because he was he was kicked <laughs> out of Wall Street forever for fraud and insider training and everything else. So people knew who he was because he was a criminal. He was a federal criminal. Um, but generally speaking, most people on the street who Steve Cohen, no idea. But you, but you think to yourself, I have billions and billions of dollars. I love the Mets. I'm going to buy the Mets. Your goal is very clear. You want the Mets to win their games and you want to win the World Series and you want to stand there holding the trophy and you want to be on a parade float going down the Canyon of Heroes, (laughs) down Broadway, down Fifth Avenue and being celebrated by the town because you, the genius billionaire, bought the team and won a championship. That's right. If you bought Twitter, (laughs) what is the goal? There is no Super Bowl. There's no World Series. There's no trophy. Nope. And so it's even dumber of Elon Musk to buy Twitter and expose himself to public ridicule this way because the goal of, in quotes, fixing Twitter, what does that even look like? The argument could be made very easily. There's nothing wrong with Twitter. It was functioning more or less exactly the way it should have, which is to say, it's a place where you go to make really stupid jokes. It's a place where journalists say like, I wrote a piece about this, or I wrote a book and here's my book. Or when something really funny and weird happens, everybody rushes to Twitter when there's the Oscars, when Will Smith slaps Chris Rock, everybody goes to Twitter to like talk about that, right? That's right. And the problems of Twitter were the problems of America. There were some Nazis floating around who say Nazi things, and there are some racists floating around who say racist things. And when that happens, the company... In, in accordance with just general accommodation of probably 4% in, 
general decency and 96% we can't have people talking like this because we sell ads <laughs> step in and they say, hey, Nazis, go somewhere else, please. We don't yes. want you really we don't here. Want and you. We're gonna... You're a Nazi. We don't want you here. Right. And so that's it's far from perfect, but it's more or less all that that's all Twitter is. There's nothing else going on, right? There's no like, there's no, um, there's no UEFA Super League no. of social media companies where you can compete and win some kind of championship. That's right. And so the so he had this idea. And by the way, for the record, it wasn't he had a few drinks. Let's face it with that guy. He was he was he was smoking weed. Oh, yeah. He paid he paid fifty four twenty a share, he which he didn't have to do. He put nope. literally put he put the number four twenty into the share price because he's so committed to the idea that four twenty jokes are still funny in the year twenty twenty two. But he came in and what he was saying was Twitter is the great public square right. of the twenty first century. And I believe that there should be a public square and I don't care about the money at all. He literally said this. You can look it up. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the revenue. I don't care about any of that. I believe that this is the great public square of the 21st century and it needs to be protected. And the first things he has done since buying it were essentially to get rid of the concept of it being a public square. You have to be verified in order to post and have anyone see your post, which is not, that's not a public square. Socrates wasn't wasn't charged $8 a month to stand up in, in ancient Greece and, and orate, right? And also he clearly does care essentially only about the money because he's been tweeting over and over again we're losing this much money we lose four million dollars a day blah 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 and it's like hey man you were the guy who said you didn't care about the money no one asked you know what's this is the most infuriating thing he tweets and responds to people as if someone forced him to do this that's what's so funny he is acting like we all stood up and said please Please, for the love of God, Elon Musk, buy Twitter, save (laughs) us and buy Twitter. You're the only one who could help us. No, he didn't have to do this. It's so crazy. Just stay on the sidelines. Make your dumb 420 jokes. Make your 69 jokes. Like no one that he could have just gone on doing that. And by the way, also complaining about how it's run and had everybody say, oh, if only Elon Musk could have bought Twitter, this would all be fixed. Instead, he did the only thing that can really ruin him. He spent $44 billion to buy a thing that had no hope or chance of ever succeeding, really beyond how it has succeeded to this point, to whatever extent it succeeded. And now he is just spiraling, just absolutely death spiraling. And I believe, and I could be completely wrong, I believe this ends with him out $44 billion. I really honest, or some amount of billions of dollars. I think he's going to have to sell this thing in a year to someone for like $8 billion. It's going to be AOL. It's like he bought AOL at the, at the height of the market and he's going to have to unload it to some weird hedge fund for like $4 billion and just go off into the distance claiming that he was royally screwed over and that nobody <laughs> understood him and that he's actually a genius and we all were we the leftists were the ones who prevented him from succeeding it is so funny i really i i keep thinking i should leave like i think a lot of people do like i should leave i should leave i should leave it's too fun to watch him implode right now like if the if the nazis come back 
if he lets Trump come back, if the disinformation starts spreading like crazy again, I mean, I'm certainly not paying eight bucks a month. As I said no, before, no. I will not pay one. I will not pay one American cent over the next thousand years if that's the price. <laughs> but I but generally speaking, if he opens it up again and it becomes a place where women are harassed and abused without repercussion, if Nazis come back and there's hate and vile and vitriol that is far greater than it has been with the pretty weak content moderation that the old regime had. If that happens, I will leave. Right. I have no I have no compunction about leaving. No, but right now, every day when I think about it, I'm like, no, I gotta see what happens today. It's too fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually I was assuming that I would leave. Like I was assuming like right. at some point I'm leaving. I don't think I'm ever gonna leave. Because here's what I think. I think a lot of his stupid ideas that he had about Twitter, like were were just slap like it was a slap in the face like the minute he walked in the door like mm-hmm. the, probably like the first thing he said is like hey first thing I'm doing I'm letting Trump and all of these guys back on and they were like all of our advertisers will leave we will make literally no money and then he was like <laughs> no no we're making money I'm not no I, I'm not spending a billion dollars a year to let those guys back on so. Let's charge people. And they're like, charge people for what? We'll charge you for the blue check mark. But who's going to pay for that? No, don't worry about it. We're going to do that. And and by the way, I'm, I'll talk to the advertisers. Don't worry. I'll I'll settle that problem. <laughs> yeah, let, let, just give me like an hour. I'll, I'll soothe their nerves. Yeah. <laughs> it's just beautiful. It's Jack just Dorsey, beautiful. who's his own kind of lunatic and his own kind of weirdo billionaire. Right mind brain worm guy he said something recently that i believe is true which is the real truth of the matter is it should never have been a business it should never have been a company it's not really a company it's just a website where it's like it's you go there and you you vent your steam about whatever is is like boiling the water in your brain at that moment and that thing might be I heard a Beatles lyric today that I um, that I thought was funny that I haven't thought about in a long time. Or it might be, oh, my God, Jordan Alvarez just hit a ball 450 feet. Right. Or it might be just I was walking down the street and I heard X, Y and Z. That's not a company. That's a, That's just a place where you go like it is. <laughs> Elon Musk, in essence, is not wrong. It's a public square. You're just going up and just that's chirping right. about whatever you're thinking about. And the joy of it isn't um, that it is useful. The joy of it is that somebody constructs a Rube Goldberg machine during COVID with their eight-year-old daughter, and they put it on Twitter, and you look at it and go, oh, my God, this is amazing. And you just retweet it because you're like, look at this thing that this person did. That's not a company. That's just a, that's just a location on Earth where you get to hear conversations and have conversations with people you don't know all across the world and you need and you get to share communal experiences. And so I think Jack Dorsey is right. I think the mistake here is that capitalism essentially intervened into a, a system that did not really ever have a chance at becoming successful in making money. Right. And because of that, a billionaire's brain that had been eaten by billionaire brain worms <laughs> was like, oh, I know how to actually fix this. So now yeah. I will buy it. And now here we are. And we're in a, in somebody tweeted last night and it really is true. I, I wish I apologize to this person. I wish I remembered who it was. Somebody tweeted, I think we're alive for the funniest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> and I, there is something really funny about 
every day on Twitter, there's that other great tweet that I also can't remember. I apologize to this person too. But there's someone tweeted a long time ago that every day on Twitter, there's one main character and your goal in life is to never be that main character, <laughs> right. right? You never want to be the person or thing that everyone is tweeting about. That's right. Elon Musk buying Twitter has become <laughs> Twitter's main character every day now for like 10 or 12 straight days. That's right. That's so funny. That he is paid, so ironic and funny. $44 billion to be that guy. The one that none of us want to be. The one that nobody wants to be. Yes, he paid $44 billion to be like a guy who did something really embarrassing in a Jamba Juice. And i that's why it's so hard to drop out right now. And and again, I, I'll say this on the record, that if all the Nazis come back or it becomes oh, yeah. this violent cesspool, I'm gone. I don't care. If he truly charges people even to use the service, I'm gone. I don't care. Sure. But right now, it is. there's a genuine feeling of excitement that I have <laughs> that I haven't had in a long time. Every morning where I'm like, let's see what old Elon's been up to today. <laughs> it's, it is. It is. The ultimate car wreck. It's so much fun. Of course, this is an emergency podcast of the World Series just ending. So we really need to discuss the end of that Tampa Bay Rams game yesterday. Yes. That was the... Okay, so here's the thing. And I we, we are on opposite ends of this, but, but only for geographic reasons. Uh, you, of course, love Tom Brady and have loved mm-hmm. him. He has brought you much joy in your life. I do not like Tom Brady. He has brought no joy to my life in, in, in any way. <laughs> So we're now at a stage where Tom Brady is 45 years old and, you know, his life is kind of falling apart before our very eyes. Yeah. It's very sad. I don't I don't wish him any ill will. However, I, I think you have to acknowledge that Tom Brady is not the Tom Brady of, of even five years ago, three years ago. He's no. he's you know, he's different. However, I'm watching the game yesterday, uh, the Rams and, and Buccaneers game. Terrible game. Terrible game. Absolutely terrible. Both teams, terrible. That Rams team is horrendous. And Tony Romo is, I, I and I, I like Tony Romo. We all like Tony Romo. Tony Romo, the entire game is talking about how Tom Brady is as good as he's ever been. And he's saying <laughs> this again and again and again. Even though we're watching him absolutely have no ability whatsoever to, uh, like, Score a touchdown. There's no ability whatsoever. He every pass he throws is within ten yards of the line of scrimmage. He throws the ball in the like in the ground way more than we've ever seen him. He's he's skittish in the pocket. Look, he's 45 years old. This is what happens, and he's not immune to that. So it's driving me absolutely crazy. When the game is going on, and you know, the more I'm watching it, the more I'm like, man, Tom Brady's terrible. He's like, he's he's no good. He can't throw the ball downfield. He won't throw the ball downfield. Uh, period. Over and over and over again. And then they they go on their final drive and the Rams stop him on the final drive. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe now he's going to admit. And by the way, every time Tom Brady would go into the shotgun, you'd hear Tony Romo like really excited, like, oh boy, here we go. Tom Brady in the shotgun. It was driving me nuts. So so we get to the final drive, they stop him, and then the Rams, because they are absolutely the worst team I've ever seen, go three and out, even though they had at one point Cooper Cup gets a like a jet sweep and he's he's got a first down. He is like he literally looks like he's got the first down, but he doesn't want to go out of bounds, so he slides to stay in bounds, and then I guess if you slide, 
they they mark it's it from right. where you begin the slide. Yeah, but yes. I always thought that was just for quarterbacks. I guess that's for anybody. Anybody anyone anyone giving up. giving himself up. Yeah. So yeah. so they don't get the first down. They give him the ball back with 44 seconds left and no timeouts. At the, he has got to go 60 yards. 44 seconds left. No timeouts. This is Tom Brady who cannot throw the ball down the field. This is this game is over. And the Rams literally had the worst defensive game plan I have ever seen for any team in my entire life. Yeah. I think it was Joe Sheehan who tweeted out, if you were if you had told me that the Rams purposely lost this game, I would believe you. <laughs> the first play they let uh they let a receiver get behind them, which is like the only thing you don't do for like mm-hmm. a big game. He actually threw the ball downfield. And then they're like you know what we should do? Let's cover the middle of the field, but not the sidelines. Let's see if yeah. we, we can do that. So they let them throw like three passes to the sidelines where the guys just caught it and stepped out of bounds without anybody covering him. Then they committed a uh, a penalty in the end zone. And mm-hmm. then on with 13 seconds left, and they have the ball at the one, no timeouts, the Buccaneers run like a play-action pass, and mm-hmm. they all play the run. Like, literally everybody plays the run, leaving the receiver wide open for a little dink pass for a touchdown. I, I've never seen anything like it. And and so this is my question for you, as somebody who appreciates and loves Tom Brady. Does he have some sort of, like, weird hypnosis kind of thing that he does on teams? Like, do teams, like, just go, oh, we know he's going to do it anyway. Let's just get out of the way and let him do it. What What's going on? What happened? I don't know. It appears like he has the power that the Scarecrow has in the Batman universe where he has some kind of toxic gas that he (laughs) leaks out that causes them to hallucinate and see things. It's really remarkable. A couple things to say about Tom Brady at this moment. It is obviously true that he is not the guy he was even a couple years ago. Of course, yes, we know that. However... He is currently 260 for 398 for 2,547 yards. One interception. He has thrown 10 TDs and one pick. So his projected stats for the year are 4,800 yards passing, 19 touchdowns and two picks. Yes. That is a year that in every year up through like 2008 is the best year that anyone (laughs) has ever had in the history of, of being a quarterback, right? So... And he's second in the league currently in yards passing. He's number two. So I think the reports of his demise are a little overblown. I also think if you watch that game last night, he was hitting guys in the hands and in the face mask and they were dropping them. Mike Evans dropped like three passes yesterday. Like these, these weirdly reliable, these usually very reliable receivers are dropping passes all over the field. So it is also true that as you and I have talked about, he has made a bunch of throws. I mean, his mobility is completely gone. He's made a bunch of throws that he never used to make balls that are just like hitting the ground four yards in front of the receiver. Yes. And he's had some dropped interceptions this year too. He has every, every QB has dropped interceptions. Every, every QB's interception total should be multiplied by five by the end of the year, because (laughs) the defensive backs, again, if they could, if they could catch, they'd be receivers. Right. But his, 
I, I left, uh, I had to take my son, my son had a baseball game today at 5 p.m. L.A. time. So I had to leave that game. I couldn't watch the fourth quarter and I was sort of following along and I saw that Brady got the ball back with 45 seconds left and no timeouts and they were down by whatever they were down by. And I was like, oh, they're, they're going to win. Like yeah. I, it just, it is one of the craziest things. We will never see it's equal in sports, certainly not in football, where the worse the situation, the more likely it is that the team wins. And that has been true of Tom Brady since the year 2001. It has been true for 21 straight years that when he gets the ball back with a minute left and no timeouts down by three or four, that his team is favored at that point to win. The (laughs) DraftKings betting odds on the on the Bucks probably were like whatever it is minus 300 right. or something. I don't even know if that's how betting lines work. But that it was it was four times as likely even after that game, even though he's 45, even though he's not having a great year, even though his receivers are dropping passes, it was four times as likely at that moment that the Buccaneers won that game than then they lost. The interesting thing to me about football, and this is playing into this larger narrative, first of all, as we've talked about, there are so many bad teams. So many. This is it it feels um it feels like uh some kind of new high watermark for just crummy teams. I agree. And I say that after a week in which uh, the Chiefs barely got out alive against the Titans. The Bills straight up lost to the Jets. Lost them. The Chargers almost lost to Atlanta. Yep. Like the Miami almost lost to Chicago. Green Bay lost to Detroit. Yeah, Minnesota almost lost to Washington. I mean, uh, it is... It is shaky man even at the very top of this league it is shaky there are how many let me ask you this there are 32 nfl teams how many teams can you definitively say right now are good literally just that how many teams are good good not great yeah just good just good all right let's go through them i think we can definitively say the bills are good even though they lost yesterday agree and by the way that was something you talk about brady and this is so true josh allen is a great quarterback. I think we all Mm -hmm. know that, right? He's unbelievable. But sometimes Josh Allen gets the ball and does not drive his team down the field to score. Right. You know, even sometimes Patrick Mahomes even gets the ball and does not drive his team down the field to score in the final seconds. It's crazy what that Brady, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's, like, he has some sort of hypnosis because the Rams had shut him down all day and then suddenly 44 seconds left and and it's it's absurd. Anyway, the Bills are definitely good. The mm-hmm. Chiefs are definitely good. Agree. I would argue, you will disagree with me, but I would argue that Tennessee is good, even without a quarterback. I think they're good. I think their defense is really good, and Derrick Henry is an absurdity. He's a pure okay. absurdity. I'll, 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 for, the, for the sake of the argument I'm about to make, I will give you that. Let's say Tennessee is good. So that's okay. three teams that's so far. Who teams. else is good? All right, in the AFC, I don't think like look, the Jets and Dolphins are both 6 and 3. I'm not definitively saying either one is good. They I'm saying be- that I'm saying the Dolphins are good. Oh, interesting. I'm going to say uh, yes, I'm going to say the Dolphins are good. So that's okay. four teams. All right, I okay. like it. I don't think that you can Who say else? anybody in the AFC North is good. The Ravens mm. are the Ravens good. I don't think you can say the Ravens are good. The Bengals are just plain weird. Um <laughs> are the Chargers good? I don't, I don't think you can say right now the Chargers are good, no. All right, so I that's think, it. So that's it for the AFC. I don't think now, there's anybody now go else. To the, uh, no, now the, the, the only 
the only other team in the AFC you could possibly the Jets you could possibly say are good, but I don't think it's fair to say that. I think you could theoretically say the Ravens are good, but I'm with you that it feels shaky for some reason. Yes. Okay. I, I, they might be. They might be good. Let's, let, okay, let's throw the Ravens into the mix. Let's okay. say there's five AFC teams that are good. There's okay. a part two of this question, by the way. So yes. now let's go to the NFC. All right. The the Eagles are definitely good. They're, the they're, are good. they're legitimately definitely good. Mm-hmm. I, I guess you have to say the Vikings are good, but they don't feel Do good. Do you? I no, don't know. They're 7-1. <laughs> they're they don't feel good. They don't. They're seven and one, and they have a plus thirty-two point differential. <laughs> so that means they win games on average by four points. Four points, really. yeah, yeah. They four don't or five feel points. good, um, but I think you have to say they're good. I guess. Okay, let's say they're good. That's what are that six, seven teams that we said are good. Are the Cowboys or Giants good? Giants are not good. I think I think the Giants are actively bad. You think the Giants crazily. are bad? You think they are yeah. six and two on a pure? Point. I think you could, I think you can make the argument that the Cowboys are good. So let's throw them in there. That's eight teams. Okay. Is Seattle good? That's the last one. Uh, they are six and three. Their point differential is plus twenty one. So they're winning games on that by average of like three points or something. Yes. Uh, all right. Sure. Go ahead. Go ahead and throw them in. So let's say there's the nine thing. good teams. If you teams. throw them in, I mean, their point differential is actually worse than the 49ers. So we know the 49ers are not good. So, all right. Let's throw them in, though. That would make it Throw what, them in. Nine? Okay. So, so let's say there's nine teams that you would say in the league are good. Okay. Right. Now, you have um, one bet you have to make on a playoff game. Okay. You have to bet for like for every for you have to wager every dollar you own <laughs> on a playoff game. Okay. okay. How many of those nine good teams would you feel confident betting on in a playoff game, even if they are at home against the worst of those good teams? How many teams would you feel confident betting on? Um Let's go through them again. The Bills, yes. I would feel fairly confident fairly betting confident. on the Bills. Yes. Okay. The Dolphins? No, no, definitely not. No. The Ravens? Nope. Nope. No. Titans, the Titans? Nope. Nope. With that quarterback, forget it. The Chiefs, I would yes. say yes. yes. You would feel confident, That's right? Two. Okay. Okay. The Eagles. I guess kind I of them, I want them to be good. I think they're good, but you're telling me you bet every the Eagles play, say Tom Brady and the Bucks. Right. At home, <laughs> you're betting all of the money you have on that Eagles team. No, you're not. The no, Eagles you're not. Eagles play the 49ers in a <laughs> right. wild card game. The right. Eagles play the Vikings. The right. Eagles play the, the Falcons. I like Yeah. I mean, let's let's say for the record that you do feel confident in the Eagles, because they're eight no, they seem to be the best team in the league. Right. So let's say that's, that's the third three. team. Okay. The Cowboys, nope. no way. No. The Vikings? Uh, nope. No way. Nope. nope. Um, and Seattle? Nope. No. no. So no. what this is this is my point. There are three teams, the Bills, the Eagles, and the Chiefs, that you would feel at all confident on betting on at home in a playoff game. That's right. Not wild? That's wild to yeah, me. Yeah, well, it's wild, but here's let me let me throw it to you a different way. How many great quarterbacks are there in the NFL right now? This minute, at this point. And and Tom Brady is not a great quarterback right now, in my mind. You could you could throw him in if you want. But let's let's go through it. All right. Okay. In the AFC, we would say Josh Allen's a great quarterback. Yes. Anybody else in that division? Tua? Are you giving Tua? Tua Tua is is heading there. He's heading there. Yeah. Okay. But he's not there yet. No. Okay. Lamar Jackson? 
I think you have to say that Lamar Jackson is a great court. He as a weapon, as an offensive weapon. Yeah. I, it's hard. I mean, it's I'd hard say, to say. Okay, I think he's. A, I think he's a great quarterback. Let's put him in there. Absolutely. All right. Joe Burrow. Mm. You got. You got. Dude, you have to. You're gonna have to put Joe. <laughs> if you're not putting Joe Burrow in there. This is gonna be a very short right. list. Joe Burrow. Fine. Yes. Joe Burrow. <laughs> All right. Certainly. Well, we and, have no and idea. Mahomes. Mahomes. I was gonna say. Is there anybody else in the entire? I mean, what about uh, um, Justin Herbert? Would Justin be the Herbert. other one, right? Would you put him as a great quarterback? I don't, I don't, I mean, he's also, he's so banged up this year. Right. But let's say there are four. Okay. That's four in the AFC. And we don't feel great about all four of them, but that's four in the AFC, right? Well, five if you count Tua, right? Yeah. Five if you count Tua, right? So, so five sort of great quarterbacks in the AFC. (laughs) Now, let's go to the, to the, to the NFC. Jalen Hurts is Jalen Hurts a great quarterback? I think he is. I think I, I think he's busted out this year. I think he counts in that. I category, think it's yeah. I think it's going to happen. All right, is Dak a great quarterback? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's throw him in. Let's throw him I mean, in. Well, uh, it's hard. Look, it's that team did pretty well when he wasn't there, right? They were three they, and one when did. he wasn't there. So they uh, did. Look, I like Dak. I do. I, I do too. I, if he wasn't a cowboy. I'd really like him. But uh, yeah. All right. Um, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers a great nope. quarterback anymore? Not nope. anymore. He's just, he's just not. He's just not. Kirk Cousins. <laughs> no. Kirk Cousins not a great quarterback. I don't even. I didn't even stop to like. He, he wasn't even like a window you stop at. Like he just. He's fine. <laughs> he's perfectly fine. I mean, obviously. Obviously, Baker Mayfield for the Panthers. There's a great quarterback. <laughs> if they're playing the Bengals, man, if Baker Mayfield's playing the Bengals, he he loves that Bengals team. You wouldn't say Geno. You wouldn't say Stafford. Well, I'm you telling would... you, if you're not going to say Geno, like Geno's playing like a great quarterback this year. He's playing like one. But I think when you say, is this guy a great quarterback, I think you would say no. It, I don't to me, think what are we at, seven? It's seven or eight, depending on whether you're going to put Geno in there. Like, yeah. I think if you're going to put Tua in there, you could put Geno in there based on what he's done yeah. the first this year. He's yeah, not a okay. great quarterback, but I don't think Tua is a great quarterback. None of those, like, if you're talking about purely, like, guys that you're like, great, all-time great quarterbacks, there's two. There's two in the NFL. That's it. Yeah. There's, there's Josh Allen and, and Patrick Mahomes. And we are at a stage now where Brady is wherever he is in his career. Aaron Rodgers is toast. I mean, like, he is like... He's Rogers like unplayably bad. I mean, they, yeah. like him in the red zone yesterday, he threw picks and he's just, ah, oh, he's unplayable bad. You have Brady and those guys, that's two. Breeze is gone. Manning is gone. The other Manning is gone. Like the NFL is like, there's a bit of an identity crisis coming here. I think that one year from now, if things are, if things go in this direction that they're going in currently, one year from now, like Tua is completing 70% of his he passes. Play, he's playing great. He's playing his great. His QB rating is like 116 or something. Yeah, he's like he's great. he is playing incredibly well and that those receivers make him that offense is unstoppable. Mina Kimes tweeted this yesterday. Like there's open, there's wide open and then there's the <laughs> amount open that the Dolphins receivers are They're in this ridiculous. scheme. Yeah. It's crazy. Like they I mean his biggest problem is that he's he he can't throw the ball far enough <laughs> to actually lead to Ty- Tyreek Hill 
to a touchdown. Like Tyreek Hill is having or to stop and yeah, and like wait and turn around and check his watch and eat a sandwich, and then he <laughs> catches the ball that 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 two are through. But you have this generation now. You're you're beginning to see it emerge. It's Jalen Hurts and Tua and Herbert and, and maybe and maybe Fields if he if Fields. he turns into Lamar too. Yeah, um, yeah like the, you you can see that generation. They just ha- they haven't quite arrived, and the old guard hasn't quite left. That's right. But I I think this conversation might be very different in a, in a year or two, and I we'll hope say it like, is. wow, there's a lot of great quarterbacks in the league right I now. I hope it know? is. However, by the same token, you can you can point to a bunch of quarterbacks who were like had good years. And you're like, oh, that guy's the future of the NFL. And then they they stagnate or they get hurt yeah. or they, you know, I mean, that's that's this league. We don't know. We really don't know, like, if any of these guys. It looks good, but at this point, we don't know what's going to be happening. I mean, it's... I just can't... I was shocked at how bad the football was. And the last two terrible. weeks... Yeah. The last two weeks have been... Have had just bad matchups. The te- teams that were on buys were generally a lot of good teams have had yes. buys the last couple of weeks. And so the, but I, I went through a couple of weeks ago and there was only one game. I think in both weeks, there was either only one or two games where both teams had winning records. And it just felt like every game was this kind of like ugly morass yeah. of like, it would be like, Oh, I'll watch that. I'm excited to see the Eagles play. Oh, they're <laughs> playing the saints or whatever. Like it, that we just, we, I feel like in, in past years, it's felt a lot more at this time of year, halfway through the season, there've been a lot more games where it's like, you know, the seven and one bills against the six and two Cowboys or whatever. Right. It feels like we haven't had a week where there's a lot of marquee matchups now. Oh, I agree. You know, and yeah. what I normally tell, and this happened actually when you came over, usually the schedule, like you, you look at if you have like NFL Sunday ticket, you look and you're like, oh, these are about three or four t- games that I'm going to just be flipping back and flipping forth. Flipping back and right? forth, yeah. And like yesterday, it was like, yeah, just just watch this one game because there's nothing else to go to. There's no. Well, we're also in that ugly zone now where there's like only two games on it. F- at well, that's four true. The, with, the, with, the, you know, with the buys and everything else. Yeah. But, but yeah. even the one o'clock game, I was watching the Bills. Jets game, and I'm like, I'll switch to other things. There was nothing else to switch to. I guess there was that Dolphins Bears free for all that, that yeah. I got in. But like late. Patriots Colts, that oh. was it was embarrassing. Was for that everyone. was that one of the worst games you've ever seen? Uh, it was truly bad. The score does not correctly indicate how bad it was because it looks like the Patriots were what is it, twenty nine to three or something. Yeah. And it looked like, oh, that was a, the Patriots won. They like dominated the game. They didn't. Mac Jones was terrible. The offense was terrible. The the Colts had the 121 total yards. The Patriots had like 220 total <laughs> yards. Like they they couldn't do anything. Like it was it was it was so many field goals, so many like 44 yard field goals. And it's just, it's this is how Belichick likes to win. I was going to say let me, this- let me let me let me stop you right there because. We have an emergency going on with the World Series that we have to get to. But before yes. we do that, we have to discuss the fact that the Patriots are five and four, and Bill Belichick is the happiest guy in the so world. So happy. He's so, so happy. happy. This is just what he's dreamed about. This boring, ridiculous just team that he's got to like figure out a way each week to get them to like beat another bad team. Like this is. He it's lives what he. For it's this. his greatest dream. It's like 
it's a bunch of um it's a bunch of good free agent signings on defense like right. Matt Judon who's essentially unblockable who had three sacks yesterday and um and a and like good defensive line play yeah. <laughs> and just like a sturdy defense and a middling offense that gets you a bunch of 44 yard field oh, yeah. goals yeah. and he is uh, the only thing that could make him happier is if Mac Jones had gone to Rutgers or Navy <laughs> if that if that were the I, case I'm thinking literally he doesn't even watch game film of his own team anymore. He just watches 1948 Rutgers versus Navy games. He just watches, he watches <laughs> Navy Notre Dame from 1951 and draws up like fullback dives <laughs> because that's all he wants to do. No, he's so happy right now. He's oh. absolutely so happy. Also, no one is paying attention. Like, here's what he's thinking about. He's thinking about the Dolphins-Patriots rematch in Foxborough in December yep. because now everyone is talking about Tua and that offense and Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, and all he's doing is scheming some gross <laughs> sludge, like, muddy way that he can just, like, drag them down into the muck and and win that game fourteen to ten. Oh yeah, like it, that that is the that is all he's been thinking about since week one when they lost in in Miami was like how can I drag the Miami <laughs> Dolphins down into the mire and the swamp and the muck that we play in and win that game by four points oh. where somehow you look up it, it's exactly the first Super Bowl it's exactly yes. what he's thinking about is that Ram Super Bowl and how. They're going to be winning 10 to 7 at halftime because they have a pick six. And they somehow like the Dolphins have like 361 total yards in the first half and three points. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it's this is this is his dream. We we have often on this podcast like gone, well, what what is what's left for the man? Like, like, go be on your boat and live your life. But no. Not if no. he can do this. Not if he can not, do this. Not if he can bring like. Not if he can sap joy. And- <laughs> he, just, he just wants to sap joy from other people and other teams. He wants like I I have said before that his the only two Super Bowls that I bet he truly admires are the first one against the Rams right. and the thirteen to three win over the Rams again. <laughs> that thirteen to three win is his perfect Super Bowl. Just just miserable. miserable no one enjoys it no one has fun everybody's bored it's like they brady throws one good pass to gronk to get them into and score a touchdown but it's just like rex burkhead three and a half yards at a time and an incredible defensive scheme that no one can figure out this like is that's, a man who that's was all he dragged, wants who was dragged to way too many navy football games when he was a kid yes and he's like the world will pay. That's like that's his origin story. It's like everybody's going to have to watch Navy football. I'm not the only one that's going to have to watch this. He his the only thing he cares about is figuring out a way that a guard can pull <laughs> and block a blitzing linebacker on third and three to allow for a, a sturdy white fullback <laughs> to get three and a half yards and get a first down with with four minutes left in the second half that that is a to extend a drive that leads to a 44 yard field goal to put them up six to three and that's then, all I, that's the then, only thing that gives him happiness and then dropping nine guys into coverage and just like making it just like the <laughs> quarterback just getting in the quarterback's head making that guy like 
like question himself for the rest of his life. That's he's a he's a joy vampire. That's what yes, he, is. he is. He sucks. <laughs> he sucks joy out of other franchises and other fan bases. That's why he and Brady were perfect for each other because Brady feeds Brady's fuel is the other other people's happiness. That's why he <laughs> that's why he comes alive when he can sense that other people are happy yeah, right in the fourth like quarter that. with yeah. a minute left. He doesn't like that, but it fuels him. It's Superman in the sun. And and Belichick is a joy vampire whose entire purpose for living is to just suck joy out of life in general. And so the two of them made a perfect, t- perfect pair of pair. teammates. Perfect yeah. pair. They are absolutely, they would have totally beat the Super Friends in any. Oh, in, easily. I mean, just not even close. Not even no. close. But it wouldn't have been climactic. It wouldn't have made for a no, good movie. No, no. They just, because it just would have just been like, like oh, I'm not. I'm he just would have like felt tired and he would have like, why isn't my x-ray vision working right? What is he doing that's exactly. blocking my x-ray What's, vision? He really would be just like. Are people really worth it? Like, or like, should I really be yeah. out here being a hero? I mean, yeah, like, I could be doing something else with my life. I could, yeah, I could and buy then, like, Twitter. Wonder Woman like looks up half, mo- three quarters of the way through the battle, and somehow or another, Nick Folk is kicking a forty-four yard field goal, <laughs> and she's like, ah, oh, down by eight with seven like, minutes how left. Did, how did how that th- happen? Like, like, <laughs> like, that's not right. Wait, what, what is happening here? Oh, this is the best theory we've ever come up with in the history yeah. of the podcast, for sure. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Hey, by the way, um, emergency. The World Series was played. Yeah, we now we're getting to this a little late. It's minute fifty-six. I know. We usually get to our emergencies forty-three minutes in, but we need to talk about the World Series. Here's what I want to talk to you about. Yes, let's in talk. the World Series. Uh, how much fun the Phillies were, yes. and and how happy we are for Dusty Baker. Those are the two topics I think that go. deserve. Yeah. So let's start with the Phillies. The Phillies were so much fun. So much fun. And the thing that's great about the Phillies is, like, I don't know, individually, yeah. I mean, lots of fun guys on that team, right? I mean, Schwarber's a a joy, and Harper is fun, and those pitchers are fun, and whatever. But I don't know that it was more how surprising it was they were there, how surprising it was they kept knocking off teams, 
the crazy joy that that Philadelphia had for that team. Like they were, it was it was so electrifying just to to see the way the fans embraced that team, kind of out of nowhere, right? Like 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 everybody was like, ah, they're the Phillies, they're the Phillies. They 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 break your heart. They they screw it up. They weren't that good this year. For a long time, you're like, ah, they're not making the playoffs. Then suddenly they're in the playoffs. And then suddenly they beat the Cardinals and Philadelphia's like, let's go, baby. I mean, like the whole city just yeah. came alive. So I think that energy was there. But also, like every game started the same way, which is how are the Phillies going to win this game again? Like, well, like I'm looking at these two teams and like the Phillies are going to need to hit like five solo home runs and hope that their bullpen somehow stays together. But it's like whatever they needed, whatever they needed to happen, happened all the way through game three of the World Series, all the way through game yep. three. And then, like, the clock struck midnight in such an ugly way, which was sad. It was sad to watch sort of the anticlimactic way and ended for the Phillies after that. So this entire postseason run was summed up perfectly by Ryan Nani, who is at Celebrity Hot Tub on Twitter. Here's what Ryan wrote. <laughs> okay. I think what appeals to me about the Philly sports experience is that it's less, wow, this is the best assembly of talent and coaching, but instead much more, wow, these rowdy guys just hopped the fence and found a bulldozer with the keys in it. <laughs> now, that is true of the Eagles. It's true of, certainly true of the Phillies. It seems to be true at various times in history with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, but I think that that was the true joy of this was when they were when they were cruising and it was Schwarber and uh, Bryce Harper and Reese you know Hoskins. Uh, Reese Hoskins and even Castellanos and Brandon Marsh and Alec Bone, uh, Bohm and all those guys. It had this feeling of like, oh, someone accidentally left the back door in <laughs> and and the Phillies broke in and started a party. Yes. You know, and that the there needs to be that kind of joy in baseball. We've talked about this many times. There needs to be that kind of rowdy joy in order to make the the sport fun and specifically the playoffs that's fun. That's right. That's right. And that's why like the 86 Mets were the were the epitome of that, yes. right? Everybody talks about that team that way. Some of the boring, relentlessly good teams like the Braves of the 90s yep. or even the recent years Dodgers teams don't capture anyone's imagination no. because it's just sort of relentless excellence yes. and that's uh, okay, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch guys pitch really well and and run the bases really well. That's an element of what makes baseball exciting. But in October, Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber hitting 5,000-foot home <laughs> runs and flipping their bats, yeah. that's what makes it fun. That's yes. what makes it real fun. And I, the the Phillies were just outgunned. They were I, – I tried to figure this out the other day. They probably – had the worst player for something like 23 out of the 25 roster spots, yes. right? Like they, like if you match up just pitcher for pitcher, reliever for reliever, position by position, you could argue, I suppose, that Bryce Harper 
it, when he plays the right field, right? I mean, yeah, Harper, but yeah. over, but like by four percent over Kyle right. Tucker, right. like not, not by a by lot. A lot. Right. No, and then maybe, maybe you say that Wheeler is a better number one than Verlander. Maybe, but, but that's only because Verlander shouldn't have been their number one starter. Right. He's right. not better than Framber Valdez, I don't think. Like it's it's extremely uh, weighted in favor of the Astros. Just oh, yeah. every Cross single. Every single reliever, every single starter, every single position player. JT Realmuto is one who you would say he's a better catcher than the Astros have a catcher, I think, right? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so there's the one or two. the Astros would not give up Martin Maldonado. Like, they, right. they love that guy. They just love that guy. But the, the point is, is that on paper, this is an easy four-game sweep. And the fact that Philly made it even to game six is an enormous accomplishment and a testament to that clubhouse and the culture and the joy and the fun and the rowdiness. They found a bulldozer with the keys in it and they drove it until it ran out of gas. And I really admire that team right now and appreciate them for making this postseason a good deal more fun than it could otherwise have been. Well, and I think a lot of that credit goes to Dave Dombrowski, right? Like Dave Dombrowski decided he was going to build this ridiculous, you know, slow pitch softball team, right? That plays no defense, that hits home runs and 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 you know hopefully your your top two starters top three starters are going to get it done that's that was the whole plan that was what was so beautiful about them was it wasn't like they sort of evolved into this team like they were built to be this team this was the team right. that Dave Dombrowski had in his mind where he's like I'm bringing in a bunch of DHs and we're going to deal you know every ball that was hit out to Kyle Schwarber God bless man. Every ball that was hit out to him was like, it wasn't just an adventure. It was like, yeah, it, he's going to drop this ball at some point. Like he might drop it <laughs> trying to trying to throw it or he might drop it like just trying to pick it up. But he's not going to, like every play is going to is gonna be bad. And, but who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like that was. But also was, he didn't, he didn't drop any. He caught them all. No, he didn't. He actually he had a couple of balls that they took extra bases. Yeah. That's true. But he also waved <laughs> Castellanos in before Castellanos brilliant. made that game-saving play. Like that that's the joy of the team isn't just that they're a bunch of rec league beer league softball players, right. but you get the sense that they love baseball, man. They well, just those guys true. love playing baseball and they're fun and they're exciting and they're yes. goofy and they they there was a I know I bring everything back to the Red Sox. There was a 2004 Red Sox That's vibe right. to that team of just because right. they because that team could yeah. that that team couldn't field either. They had Kevin Millar <laughs> at first and and you know they had a bunch of goofballs running around, but they didn't care because they just loved baseball and they were uh, they got their uniforms dirty. All those cliches. Throw out any of those cliches. They just like playing the game. I I'm, I'm sad that it's over. I don't think anybody could have expected this series to go more than six games. No, that is about no. the the very, very edge of what was realistic, given given that the Astros were so much better. But the Phillies could have won game five. They and probably should have. Like that was for whatever reason, the magic wore off. They they had terrible at bats. They had good pitches to hit that entire game. And I don't know if there was I don't know. I don't know if there was something left over from getting no hit the day before or if like sort of they were exhausted. Real Muto look, looked really tired. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the, yeah. the odds just even out. But I will say this. 
And, and I think that's part of it. The Astros don't look like they're having fun at all. Like there's, <laughs> they're, they, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they love baseball every bit as much as, as the Phillies do. But like the Phillies, there's just this party atmosphere. And the Astros were like, eh, you know what? We've been here a bunch and we've not gotten the job done the last couple of times. And, you know, we're, it's Terminator 3 or whatever. It's time for us to win one of these. And, and again, nothing, you know, I mean, you can't, it was brand new for the Phillies and it was not new at all for the Astros and all of that. But yeah, the joy gap was huge, I thought, between these two teams. Part of it is that the personalities are just so different. The yeah. Schwarber and Harper type dudes and, and Reese Hoskins type dudes. The, you know who the exact opposite of that personality type is? Kyle Tucker. Kyle <laughs> Tucker has, I've I've watched Kyle Tucker play 75 baseball games. He's yep. never, his facial expression has never changed. It never doesn't changed. matter. He hits a home run. He robs a home run <laughs> in right field. He throws a guy out at second. He gets a single. He strikes out. He walks. He gets on on an error. There is, you, you could stare at his face for an hour and not be able to tell whether his team is one out away from winning the World <laughs> Series or in last place in the in the it's AL the, West. It's the Mike Trout school of baseball, really, yeah. is what it is, right? It's it really like, is, yeah. But even Mike Trout like robs a home run and goes like, woo, and pumps yeah. his fist. <laughs> Kyle Tucker's never smiled, frowned, grimaced, winced. Yeah. like chuckled like he's that he is he's so good and yet there's nothing uh, there's no access point for a fan there's no entry to his humanity and the the Phillies are all humanity they're yeah. all yeah. like fl- like warts and all here we come again we found the bulldozer with the keys in it we're gonna drive <laughs> it around and the Astros even Altuve doesn't really have that anymore Correa used to be kind of a fiery guy. He's gone. Even Jordan Alvarez hits a 450-foot home run and just placidly runs around the bases. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I just, I, Bryce Harper has said this many times. The future of baseball, if baseball wants to evolve and change and grow and capture people's imaginations, people got to be flipping bats yeah. and and having taunting fun. and jumping up and down and having fun and, and like, and, like, and just being a lot more human than those old ways of playing need to leave. Like well, they just do. And and look, some of it is, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you at all, but um, I'm writing a book and uh, the book is called uh, why we love baseball. And it is, it is many things, but it is also a countdown of the 50 greatest moments in baseball history. So I'm revisiting these moments and, and various things related to these moments uh, every day. It's what I do every day. It's my, that's my everyday life. And what I'm finding is the moments that are so great and so memorable are not necessarily the moments that that anybody thinks they would be at that time. Like, I mean, sure, everybody knows about the Bill Mazeroski home run or the Carlton Fisk home run or the Kirk Gibson home run or the shot heard around the world or whatever. But so many of these moments that I love, that I think fans love, are just, you know, a great defensive play in the middle of a nothing game, right? Or or a fantastic, um, you know, or, or, you know, sometimes they are great moments, but it's it's the reaction of the moments, like the, like the bat flip game, you know, which is just, it's the home run was incredible, but 
the reaction and the response and the crowd and the, the way everything was, was built around it is what's so memorable about that. And I, 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 baseball has sort of moved away from that stuff. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a big mistake. It's a big mistake. The joy of the game is is never going to be in just watching excellent players do excellent things. Like that's part of it, but it's it's not relatable. I don't think it is like the kind of thing that, you know, and that's to me is like just is I don't know how much we want to get into it, but obviously this 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 Houston bullpen was unhittable. Pure unhittable. Literally unhittable in game 4 and then unhittable in general. And you can probably, I can definitely, but what percentage of baseball fans can even name the four guys that made up that bullpen? Like they don't even know who they are. You know what I yeah. mean? Nobody knows yeah. Brian Abreu. Nobody knows Rafael Montero. Nobody knows. Maybe they know Ryan Presley because he was a closer. Maybe, but they might not know him either. Uh, I mean, nobody knows these guys. And, and yet also it's like, oh, well, you're getting to watch these guys do great things. It's got to be more than that though. It's baseball. It's got to be, we've got to be able to like, they need to let us in as fans. And that's what the Phillies team did. They they yep. really let us in, you know? I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just reeling a little bit from this news you just dropped on us that you're writing a book. Oh man, I, I thought I told you. That I, I don't believe doing, you have. No, are you? No, maybe. Well, yeah. to look, hey, congratulations, Joe, <laughs> on your book deal that I'm just now finding out about. I yeah. don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is. I just know that the guy's who make the game fun. I look, I've said this before. I would love it if Nestor Cortez left the Yankees. Yes. Cuz Nestor Cor- you know what you know what Nestor Cortez does is he makes the game fun. He does make the game fun? He's got a dumb mustache. He does dumb <laughs> weird windups. He like sneaks pitch 89 mile an hour pitches past guys by dropping his arm angle all the time yep. and doing crazy stuff. Yep. Like Felix Hernandez made the game fun. Like the Johnny Cueto oh, with sure. his crazy windupy stuff made the game fun. There need to be. We need to be moving toward the Philadelphia Phillies and away from the Houston Astros in terms of the way that they present the game to their fans. Agreed. I, I was thinking about this, this because this is something that I'm not exactly sure where it fits into uh, into this book that I'm doing. That I know I mentioned. Wait, to you. what? <laughs> <laughs> there used to be a guy in baseball named Al Herboski. That people yeah. call it the Mad Hungarian, who would mm-hmm. literally, before he pitched, stand behind the mound, facing center field, doing some weird, incredible Hulk thing, that he would pound the ball into his glove and turn around and like have this huge grimace. It was like pro wrestling coming to, to baseball, and it was wonderful. It was so wonderful. And we're so far away from that. I'm not saying that you want some of these guys to like start like doing that and playing like having acts on the mound or whatever, but we're not even close to that, to showing your personality. Some guys do. And I think those Phillies guys do. Some guys do. Some show their personality out there, but we should be embracing that because that's, that's what I, I think I like the way you said it. That's what lets us in as fans. Not just him, Turk Wendell with the weird sharks, (laughs) sharks teeth. And the thing is, is look, Al Herboski and Turk Wendell were not great it doesn't you don't great. have to you don't have to be a star in right. order to uh to be this kind of person it helps if you are obviously it helps sure. if you're Jose Bautista and you and you hit that home <laughs> run and then flip your bat but it's just it's more about the sort of the vibe and the team energy and the presentation and the and the and the ability to relate 
the problem with the modern day baseball player is he is essentially a golfer. Yeah. It's like he, the, the way golfers are completely stone faced, even with, you know, they'll on the 14th hole of the masters chip in from, from 82 feet. Yeah. And they maybe are like, give a little fist pump or whatever. <laughs> and then they just go and they get the ball. And then what happens is on the 18th hole, they putt from seven feet to win the Masters. And they do. And the second that ball goes in, they erupt in joy. Yes. And they start crying. And they're like, and they're, it's, and they're pumping their fist. And like all, it's like they show zero emotion yep. for four days. Right. And then the second it's over, they release it. And it's just about like managing golf is such a, it's the ultimate precision game. And they yes. can't allow themselves to, they can't allow their adrenaline to spike by one third of one right. milligram, right? Because if they do, then they'll then they'll hook their next drive hook or drive whatever. Drive miss a putt, yeah, no, no question. And it's the same baseball. the The second uh, level precision game, right behind golf, is the same way. These guys, I think, some of them are like, this is a game of repetition, above precision, of every single thing. I have to do exactly the same thing. I have to just boom, 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 boom. And if I allow myself to allow uh, emotion to overtake me, I will, uh, you know, I won't be able to function. I'll, I'll foul a ball off instead of hitting a single that I can't allow that to happen. So I get it. I'm sympathetic to the plight of the modern day baseball player. But I think the Phillies showed that isn't true. I, that's my point. My point is that if, and I, but I, I don't know if you can teach that. I think it's no, like, there is a no. kind, there's a kind of guy that Dombrowski went out and found a bunch of them and yes. made a team out of them. And so did Theo Epstein in 2003 and uh, two and three and four. That was part of Theo Epstein's stated reason for getting the guys he got, which was this clubhouse is so uptight. There's yep. weird cloud hangs over the, the franchise. I need guys who don't care. And that's why he went after Johnny Damon and Kevin Millar yep. and David yep. Ortiz and even Jeremy Giambi before that. Like it was a bunch of rowdy ding dongs who were like, who cares? I don't know what the Bambino is. What do I care? That is a good way to make a team that captures a city's imagination and I think can capture fans' imaginations too. That's right. And I don't think you can fake it. I, and, and I don't want anybody to fake it, but I think you want baseball to be open to that world. You know, you want, you want, players to feel like like if they wanted to they could be more themselves and be able to 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 just give us a little give us a little hook into some of their feelings and and emotions and you know like you saw those sideline um you know interviews the you know, dugout interviews that they would have during the game and they were generally so dry and you know but then you went to the Phillies and 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 they're like hey man you know let's go I mean it was just there was there was Really a fun feeling. All right. The other thing you wanted to talk about, which I think we have to talk about, is the pure joy that we are feeling today now that Dusty Baker is a World Series winning manager. It's wonderful. It's great. If there, if you hate the Astros, as many people do, he is the consolation prize. He's the bet hedge. He's the emotional bet hedge against the Astros winning. This is nothing but good. This yes. is nothing but a positive this is wonderful. Just a quick recap for you folks who might not know this. You mostly probably do. Dusty Baker has been a near miss guy his entire life. Yes. Like he he was the the 2003 Cubs when they fell apart, not because of Steve Bartman, but because of Alex Gonzalez dropping yes. an easy double playgrounder and a, yep. like 55 other things. He was that close to the World Series then. He he had a 5-nothing lead in game 
in uh, six. game six in yep. the eighth inning, in the eighth inning of the World Series in 2002. And his team fell apart and yep. he didn't win that World Series either. And he was done with managing. He was like, I'm done. He he took over that Nationals team. That Nationals team was really good and lost in the in the in random vicissitudes of the playoffs a number yep. of times. And he was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then along come the cheating, scandal-plagued Astros who have the best, probably the best farm system top to bottom and the best team top to bottom, the best roster top to bottom of any team in baseball, including the Dodgers, you might say. They're one or two. Uh, and they need someone to just keep that rickety ship afloat because yep. of Jeff Lunau's been banned from baseball for life and A.J. <laughs> Hinch was fired and all these Carlos uh, uh, Beltran lost his managerial job with the yep. Mets because this cheating scandal came out. And it was just it looked like the team was rotting and it looked like all of those guys, that incredible roster Bregman and Altuve and Correa, even though he's gone now, but Pena came right behind him and is maybe better, <laughs> has a better trajectory than Correa ever did. And Kyle Tucker and Framber Valdez and, and Verlander and all those guys, it looked like their legacy was going to be one World Series tainted by scandal. Yep. And they desperately needed a person to come in and lend that organization some stability. He was exactly the right guy at the right time. And the players love him. And he is owed this by baseball. If anyone was owed this ring by baseball, it is Dusty Baker. And you might hate the Astros and you might think they cheated and and don't deserve any happiness or goodness in their lives (laughs) for the rest of time. That's fine. But Dusty Baker deserves this, and it couldn't be better that he won. It's so great. It's so great. And I think, you know, everything you said about Dusty's past is right. He, I I have him in a group. Like, I have, I've always had Dusty in my mind. He's in the group with Marty Schottenheimer and Marv Levy and mm-hmm. Bud Grant and Don Nelson. And, and mm-hmm. you know, like, you go through sport by sport by sport of all of these people who were close but didn't win at all. But they were great, but they yeah. were never considered great at the level that they should have been because they could not win at all. Something would go wrong. A kick would go wide. A guy would intercept a pass and then fumble it. Something would go wrong. And that was pure Dusty. Like everything. Yeah. Dusty t- has taken five teams to the playoffs, five different teams. I was actually having a conversation the other day with a friend of mine and he asked the question, and I think this is a great question to ask. Career-wise, over a whole career, who is a better manager, Dusty Baker or Joe Torre? And, of course, you say, look, Torrey's won four World Series. You can't take that away. Think, yeah, but look at his other stops. Look at every one of his other stops. The Mets were mm-hmm. terrible. The Braves won that one year, and they were terrible. Cardinals, he didn't win. He couldn't do anything even with the Dodgers uh, when he when he took over that deal. So it was like, yeah, concentrated with that incredible Yankees team. It was the perfect match, and he was the perfect match for that team. But Dusty's won everywhere. He's won everywhere he's gone. Yeah. And I just thought it was an interesting I, – I don't I'm not saying that I would take Dusty over Joe Torre. I don't know. Depends on what kind of team I have. But the guys had an unbelievably amazing Hall of Fame career before this year ever happened. But mm-hmm. now it's like – complete in a way that that uh that a lot of those other guys just never it never happened for them so i'm so happy for him did they make managers wait five years after retiring to get into the hall of fame 
it's weird. I, I don't think they wait five years, but I, they do have to be retired. So, like, here's the thing. If he retired this year, which I don't think he will, by the way. I think he's going to come back. But if he retires this year, next year they are they're doing managers and, and players and uh, – not players. Managers and umpires and those kinds of people, I think, are on next year's veterans ballot. So I think he'd be eligible for that ballot. I could be wrong about that. But I think he'd be eligible for that ballot. Maybe not. That's too bad. Uh, I mean, he it should be like Gretzky. They should just put him in now. Put him in. Just put him in now. <laughs> put him in while he's playing. That's what they do with in like the basketball hall of fame. Yeah, I know. You know, they're like, um, ah, you're in. As long as we're talking about this, and we should wrap this up soon, but we should shift gears quickly because there isn't that much more to say about the World Series. The Astros were better. They won the World Series. Congratulations. Okay. okay. Uh, eight guys. Yes are on the contemporary baseball era player ballot, which will be reviewed by the weird ad hoc committee of 16 shadowy people who just decide (laughs) that they're going to also put some guys into the Hall of Fame. Right? Um, That's right. Here they they are. They are Albert Bell. Right. Barry Bonds. Yes. Roger Clemens. Correct. Don Mattingly. Yes. Fred McGriff. Right. Dale Murphy. Raphael Palmero. And Kurt Schilling. Yes. This is insane. That is man. pure <laughs> madness. That is the most ridiculous ballot. I I I was I, I think I told you right before this podcast started. I don't want to be anywhere near that room. Like like what like, what <laughs> is that argument like? Oh my god. How in the world do you make decisions about one of those guys? Forget about all eight of them. And by the way, you're talking okay, so Bonds, Clemens, Palmero, three guys, and arguably Albert Bell, three guys or four guys. Let's say three. Yeah, three guys. Who three guys who, under any other circumstances, were first ballot Hall of Famers. That's right. Palmero had five hundred hits, uh, five hundred homers, and three thousand hits. He's one of only like a half dozen guys to have that. Bonds is the all-time home run king. Clemens is the greatest pitcher who ever pitched in baseball. <laughs> right. Those three guys, any one of them, because of the steroid taint on each of them, yes, is is a month's worth of discussion. Oh, absolutely. By, by himself, and there's three of them. Then you then you have McGriff and Murphy, who are the kind of cla- and and Schilling. I'll put. I'll actually keep Schilling, Schilling aside because he's got another problem. Thing, yeah. McGriff and Murphy are the classic. Is he? good enough or is he just yes. not quite good enough murphy won two mvps mcgriff had 500 homers Ugh, not quite almost 493 uh, right 493 right, right. so tricky 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 guys yeah. then you have albert bell who is it's a legendary own. is his own category of specific reason why he's not in the hall of fame and then you have kurt schilling who's both on the border in terms of his career numbers and also his incredible postseason success, but also openly advocates for journalists to get murdered. So how in the world is any group of 16 guys going to make decisions on all eight of these people? That's so wild. I don't. My question is, you, you get into that meeting, you're like, okay, guys, we got this ballot to discuss. Where do we start? There's no place to start. There's no, no. there's no easy one. There's no, there is not a single, the easiest one is potentially is Fred McGriff. Fred McGriff's the easiest one. This is my, this is what I think. This is, and I'm, I'm going to be writing about this extensively over at Joe Blogs, but this is what I think. You are, 
you are one of these 16 people and you might have your own opinions about any of these players, right? You like each person will come in with these with the opinion. Okay. You're telling me in today's environment that 12 of those people are going to say, "Yeah, I want to be the one to put Barry Bonds into the Hall of Fame." Not a chance. He shouldn't even be on the ballot because there's no even if they think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. Even if there are 12 people in that room who are like, you know what? And they're not, by the way. But even if there were 12 people in that room who are like, you know what? This is ridiculous. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are two of the greatest players who ever played this game. They're top 10 all-time players. They should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm voting for him. Even if there were 12 of those guys, they wouldn't vote for him because they're not going to be the ones that are, after all of this fighting, you think they're going to just sit in a room and they're going to decide? Yeah, we're going to decide to put Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame. Not a chance. The not way a that chance. The way it happens for them is they wait long enough so that the 16-member committee is also guys from their era. That's the only I, way this happens, right? I actually right? think it goes even worse more than that. I think the only way it goes, it happens is if the Hall of Fame has a special committee determined to sort of right. solve deal the with problems, steroids. deal yeah. with the steroids. That's the only way. There's no way that a committee, and by the way, there are players on this committee, there are executives on this committee, and there are media on this committee. And they all might have different opinions, but they're not going to be the ones that are going to put those guys in the Hall of Fame. Just not. Yeah. So that's, no, why, right. that's why, to me, the guy who has a ch- well, there are two guys who have a chance, I think. I think Fred McGriff's got a real chance. He's I do too. He's sort of the anti-steroids guy, you know, because he sort of came along before it, even though mm-hmm. you know, he he's he's a great player. He really didn't get in because he fell seven home runs short of 500. It's ridiculous. So, like, to me, he makes the most sense. The other one who I could see potentially getting in is Schilling. I just wonder if, like, this committee can to themselves, as they discuss it, Look, politics are not our game. We're not about these guys, like, what they do off the field. That's a that's a whole world we don't want to get into. He fell just short of the writers, and, and that's probably because a few people just wanted to punish him or whatever. We're going to vote him in. I could see that happening. I could, the rest too. Of these, the rest of these guys, I can't see. I know? could see Murphy happening because he's the anti-steroids guy. I would you know, love like, that. I would love that. But he always falls short in these kinds of things. Yeah. I, I mean, his numbers aren't also quite maybe as good as McGriff's and no. they're not as gaudy as McGriff's. Well, he didn't get to 400 home runs. and you know. I, I think McGriff gets in. The, the thing that bums me out about this is that the guy left out of this ballot is Dwight Evans. I know. And Dwight, Dwight Evans had eight out of 16 votes the last time that uh, this came up. Yep, yep. And... Eight out of sixteen ain't bad. The only nope. that's only nope. four more votes. And again, pre-steroid era, a guy whose um, numbers weren't quite as gaudy as a lot of other Hall of Famers. But if you care about things that we now care about, like on base percentage and defense, he suddenly gets a lot more attractive and is the perfect kind of guy to sneak in the back door through this committee. And I, it bums me out that he's not on the ballot. Yeah. Well, here's a good question for you. And you're an Evans guy. I am an Evans guy. But here's my question. So take Bonds, Clemens, and Palmero out. They're their own category. By the way, 
poor Rafael Palmero. Like, like, I know. like, 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 you know how far down they have to go into the list to get to Palmero on this thing. I mean, like, <laughs> literally, if they all, they, he's eight out of eight on these on this vote thing. Poor guy with three thousand hits and five hundred home runs. Yeah, he's well, because he, he he went in front of Congress and said I didn't take steroids, and then it turned out he took steroids. Well, plus, and he's also he like, well, he's a steroid guy, and he's not nearly as good as Bonds or or Clemens. Right. So, you know, so <laughs> thank you, you know, thanks for playing, but. Here's my question. Of the other guys, so Albert Bell, Don Mattingly, who we've not discussed, who obviously has sort of a Murphy-like case, Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, and Kurt Schilling. Of those five guys, is Dwight Evans the best player? Uh, So wait, Bell, Mattingly, McGriff, Murphy, Schilling? Yep. Maybe Uh, Schilling? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Schilling. It's hard, obviously right fielder and starting pitcher. It's it's like apples hard and oranges. Yeah, hard, hard. I mean, I think all around, like hitting, defense, everything else. I think you could certainly make that argument. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think. Look, I love Dale Murphy, and Murphy did play center and win some Gold Gloves, and he had a little speed, but he didn't get on base the way that Dwight Evans did. And Look, Evans should have been in the Hall of Fame. Evans is better than Jim Rice. You know, Evans should have been in the Hall of Fame. He should have he should have gotten real consideration from the writers, and and he didn't. It's which is his career OBP is three seventy, which is a yeah. lot higher than a lot of Hall of Famers. Oh, his yeah, career OPS absolutely. plus is one twenty seven, which is a lot higher. I mean, he led the league in on base percentage in eighty two. He led he the league in OPS twice. Like. This was an, he and led the league in walks three the, times. He would have won the he might have won the eighty one MVP had that been a full season. Like he was on yeah. on his way to like a fantastic season. Yeah, and he was a great right fielder who, great who right played field. a, a very difficult right field. And he he also is a guy who got his he had great years toward the end of his career. That's yes. really partly what differentiates him is his age thirty five to thirty eight seasons were all really good. Yeah, or that's why that's, that's what yeah. puts him ahead of Rice. Like Rice had better like big years. Like his no Evans is not of a year like Jim Rice nineteen seventy eight season, but he was just better for longer. You know, for a yeah. longer period of time. Yeah, I, I would love to see Evans. I, he should have been on this ballot, but you know this ballot's crowded enough. As is. I'm actually a Truly little surprised wild. looking actually looking at it. I'm surprised that Evans is not on this ballot compared to Albert Bell. Like yeah. Albert Bell is a weird he's never gotten any real consideration. He was obviously not the world's best guy, but he also had a very, very short career and he was an incredible hitter, but he didn't play defense. Like I'm a little surprised Albert Bell's on this ballot. Evans lost uh, some games to injury like when he was 25 and even early and he came out so he has 1470 run scores so 30 runs shy of 1500 he had 2446 hits so six 54 hits shy of 2500 400 483 doubles so 17 shy of 500 385 homers 15 shy of 400 like he was just shy of a bunch of uh, essentially meaningless round numbers that I think if he had hit those benchmarks, he might've snuck in the last time he was up for this. And it, it just like, isn't quite, he doesn't have quite have those like things that it's easy to point to, but he again, led the league in walks three times on base percentage once OPS twice run scored once. Like he has like a, he led the league in total bases in 81. He was on it. You're right. He was on his way to an MVP year that yep. year. If that had been yep. a full season, it's a bummer that he uh, is being he, like his, like 
legitimate borderline candidacy for this way of getting into the Hall of Fame is going to be completely occluded by the insane arguments that are going to be had over these eight <laughs> different guys. And I, uh, that's a, and you know that's who else a is not on this ballot that, that I just realized is Lou Whitaker. Yeah. You know, and now that, that Trammell is in, like, yeah, yeah that was yeah, another guy that got really chance. pretty close last time and they kind of moved on without him. Very interesting. All, All right. right, we've been we've been talking for an hour and 33 minutes. There's one topic I want to discuss real quick before we get to one last meaningless thing. Let's do it. We have not we should have had a whole separate emergency podcast about this. Yes. Taylor Swift dropped a new album oh and we haven't gosh. talked about it yet. Oh my gosh. All right, so so first of all, I am now basically the entire my entire purpose in life is to get Taylor Swift tickets for my daughter. Mm-hmm. Like that is literally that is I have been I have been uh, told to do this. So I am now a Taylor Swift verified fan. As Congratulations. As, thank you. It only took four hours to become a verified fan, <laughs> which which really does not spell well for me getting any tickets for Taylor Swift. The album is incredible. It's incredible. And by the way, all 10 of the top 10 songs, she literally had all 10. Pretty wild. Oh, that's, that's, that is, I mean, as somebody who was a kid, like, I used to I used to keep note cards and I would write down the top 10 songs every week like I was I was really into the whole Casey's top 40 and and what are going to be the top 10 songs to think that one person could have literally all 10 of the top 10 songs I mean why even have anybody else why why is anybody else even doing music It's pretty funny I mean this looking for Taylor Swift tickets is you're basically saying, I thought originally the analogy was going to be, you're looking, you're a, you're a pig looking for truffles. That's not yes. quite, that's not quite right. <laughs> it's really what it is, is you are looking for a gold bar a gold or something. Bar. You're looking right. for, you're on the hunt for some gold <laughs> bars or you are looking for the fountain of youth in Florida in the 16th century or something. That's, that's the difficulty level of, of getting Taylor Swift tickets. But I, I have also been instructed that I need to find tickets for my uh, wife and daughter. Yes, and I'm, I'm hot on the trail. I am also Are you a verified a Taylor, fan. I, I'm also a verified fan. That's right. <laughs> How long did uh, it take you to become a verified fan? It less time than you, but a long time. Uh, I think it probably took two hours or something. Um, but I, the, the crazy thing about this is that you know she was supposed to open SoFi Stadium. That That's was right. so SoFi was going to open to like a week of Taylor Swift concerts or something like four or five. I can't remember now. And then COVID hit. And so what you're now dealing with, at least in the LA market, which I assume is the case everywhere, there is three or four years of like pent up demand <laughs> for this. And that's why these things are gold bars. It's like they people, this is not just midnights. This is folklore and right. evermore. It's everything. As I've been Yet told. It's yes. three full albums worth of Taylor Swift without her touring anywhere. The world, I'm not sure that America has the capability no, to hold it together through this tour. <laughs> like I really don't like they, she already announced she's playing SoFi twice in August They've already added a third date because yes. they instantly were able to tell that the demand was so high. That's a 55,000 seat stadium or something like that. This is going to be the most in bananas thing that we have ever witnessed oh. in the realm of touring that oh, I, no I mean, it's it's like the Beatles at Shea Stadium level uh, yes. touring for in every city she plays. How many shows? Sometimes I do this. I think about this. Like, I remember once, like, I think it was Billy Joel played 
Madison Square Garden like 27 straight nights and they were all sellouts or something Mm -hmm. like that. How many consecutive nights could Taylor Swift sell out a stadium in LA? Like a 55 or 60,000. What a great question. So there's, there's 10 million people in LA County. Um, so let's let's call it 10 million within shouting distance of that. And that says nothing about folks in in Arizona, Nevada, San Francisco Bay Area, Portland, Oregon, places people who are like within a day's drive, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the answer, how many consecutive nights could she sell out SoFi? It's gotta be a month easy. At right. Least it's gotta I I and it might be month. it might be two months. I think if I think it's possible that if she played a concert every single night at SoFi for two months, she would sell out. The only thing is comparable to this that I can think of offhand are Beyonce. When Beyonce Beyonce played Dodger Stadium, my wife right. and I went for her, it was her birthday present was Beyonce tickets. And that so that was Dodger Stadium, but they also like people were obviously on the infield, there were probably 75,000 people there right. or something like that. There right. was not a, there was not an empty seat anywhere to be found. No. And I, I remember no. thinking like, Oh, she could have played Dodger stadium every night for two weeks. And it would look exactly like this. Right. And then the only other thing that's even comparable, was B- when BTS came and played yes. SoFi, the number of people on my Twitter timeline who were just posting like, like eight hours before the concert, we're just like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god! Like the everyone just redlining, just revving their engines so hot yeah. for that. And you know, there aren't many people. I think she's in a class by herself at this exact moment. No I question. think the whatever the answer is, I think that sh- the answer is more nights, more consecutive nights than anyone else is the answer. How much money are you and I going to have to spend? To get I don't even, don't even want to think about it. <laughs> so, so as as some people may know, I took my daughter to see Hamilton right smack dab in the middle of of the Hamilton craze, mm-hmm. right when it was at its absolute hottest on Broadway, original cast. And the mm-hmm. only other person on earth who knows how much I paid for those tickets is Mike Shore, because That's me. Mike was Mike was <laughs> the guy that I went to, and I said. I am going to spend this outrageous sum of money on tickets. Should I do it? And you said, "Yes, do it. You will not regret it. You will. It's it's so good. You will not regret it." So my question is, triple what I paid for those tickets? Like, like what is Taylor? If they're, it's in a stadium. She's doing a, like a million shows. Is it going to be like, it's going to be in that range for sure. I don't think it'll be triple what you paid, remembering what you paid. It will be a lot of money. It'll be more than you paid. But here's the thing. And, you know, you wrote that piece about Hamilton that you recently tweeted out as a Joe Bloggs classic. Yes. And it's a beautiful piece of writing. It's a memory that you will have for the rest of your life. And so will your daughter. Yes. It's a seminal moment in your life. Like the question you're asking is, how much would you spend for a seminal moment in your life? That's well, right. The answer is a lot of money. You, <laughs> if you look, we spend money on vacations or you save up and you, you, you uh, take a trip with your family or you, um, you, I don't know, you buy something, you buy a present for your wife for an anniversary you have no real way of knowing whether that is going to no. work and be worth it or not. It might not. In this case, you're going to go to a place and Taylor Swift is going to sing a <laughs> lot of songs that you know very well, and so does your daughter. You know what you're getting. That's part of the reason. And that's why I said to you when you were going to buy those Hamilton tickets, like, 
I know what you're going to see and it's going to be worth it. And that I think the same is true here. Like, you know, you this is a guarantee. This is locked in. This Unless Taylor Swift gets laryngitis, this is an absolute <laughs> lock in terms of you getting a thing that you will remember for the rest of your life. So yeah. All right. this is what you, why, why make money if not to spend <laughs> it true. on things like this? You That's know? true. That is, that is 100% true. By the way, a big part of your $8 uh, fee to become verified on the podcast We'll be going to my Taylor Swift tickets. Don't you think? I think. I think hundred percent of it. A, yeah. Just, a, just another reason for people to uh, to verify. You want our kids to see Taylor Swift, don't you? Of course I do. Of course, all of us want. Everybody wants to see your daughter and my daughter go see Taylor Swift. Why do you listen to this podcast if not to pay us money so that we can then take our kids to see Taylor Swift? I mean, what's what's in it for you otherwise? Exactly. There's, and the answer is nothing. Nothing is in it for you. All right. Time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we Uh, mine's very simple. My whole life, when it comes to nuts, I have been an almond guy. You're an almond guy, yeah. That's how I would define myself, an almond guy. Sure. I am ready to declare, as of like a week ago, I'm a cashew guy. Wow. Wow, yeah. this is big. This is big. It is big. big. What yeah. happened? And so what happened was, uh, uh, I don't know, six months ago now, there was a fateful trip to a grocery store where I went to buy my giant bag of lightly salted almonds that I always get. Absolutely. Of course. Where they were out. They were just there were no almonds. Ooh. It was a I don't know if it was a supply chain thing or whatever. No almonds. I thought, well, I like cashews too. I'll get cashews. Got cashews instead. Ate all the cashews. And then like next time I went, I got both. I got almonds and cashews uh-huh. and for a while it was both. And then at a certain point I was like, "You know what?" I kind of think I'm leaning <laughs> cashew and I started only buying cashews. Wow. And now it's been like another three months of only eating cashews. And I'll tell you what sealed it. Uh, three days ago, I went to the grocery store, bought both almonds and cashews. I have both in my pantry right now. Went to get uh, some nuts the other day for a little snack. Chose cashews, even Just- though they were both staring me in the face. Was there was and there was no question about it. It was like I need some nuts. I'm going cashew, wow. and I just realized I'm. I something has shifted. I'm a cashew guy now. That's look. I I love them both, but I would say I'm a cashew guy too. I really. I, I think this is. I think this is a great decision. There's one thing wonderful about cashews that is irrelevant to everything else, but is so true. There's something very satisfying about like taking that verse first bite of the cashew mm-hmm. and having it split in half. Yeah. You know, like that, that's, that's satisfying. The almond does not offer that. I will say this in defense of almonds, which I do still love. Oh, almonds are great. I, I think that the unroasted, unsalted almond is a still a better nut than the unroasted, oh, unsalted cashew. I think the key, so, the key so to the cashew. Talent. 
Raw talent, I think Almond has them beat, but when you lightly salt them, See, I think the I cashew mean. passes the almond. <laughs> cashew just works harder. That's what happened. The okay, cashew just got more works guts. harder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my one last meaningless thing. I actually am looking for a little help on this. I have decided that I have a very weird and unhealthy relationship with tomatoes. So so here's here's what I mean. I love tomato sauce. Like I love tomato sauce with pasta. I love Who doesn't? Sauce. Who doesn't? Tomato juice is the most disgusting thing I can think of. Literally, <laughs> it makes me sick to even think about tomato juice, okay? I like sometimes having tomato on my sandwich and sometimes I'm like, no, I don't like it. I will not eat tomato out of like a salad, but I love bruschetta. Like bruschetta is like one of my favorite things. I love salsa and I love chili, but if somebody's like, hey, here's a sliced tomato, I'd be like, oh, what am I going to do with that? I don't want that. Right. It's very weird. I, I think I'm, I just feel like I've got a very weird relationship with tomatoes I, and I, that I cannot figure out. I think that the thing you're dealing with is that the tomato is arguably the single most versatile yeah. food in existence. It is yeah. used in the most different kinds of food in the most different ways. It can be sliced and eaten fresh. It can be stewed. It can be turned into sauce. It can be ketchup. It can be a soup. It can be soup. It can be a garnish. It can yep. be a key part of a burger. Like it is a true, is like a one of the most famous sandwiches in existence, BLT. Yes. Not the same without the T, right? <laughs> so I I have a similar relationship to the tomato, which is there are ways in which I will not eat pasta without tomato sauce. Can't do right. it. Can't don't do eat cacio e pepe. I don't eat <laughs> olive oil and basil sauces. If a pasta doesn't have tomato sauce on it, it's not pasta to That's me. That's right. And yet I hate ketchup. Hate it. <laughs> hate Never. Ketchup. And I don't eat ketchup under any circumstances. Occasionally, I will, if it's on a burger, I'll eat the burger and be like, ugh, I kind of wish this didn't have ketchup on it. But I don't eat ketchup on anything. Right. Hate ketchup. Yeah. So I think that what you're coping with is simply is a bounty. I think it's just, yep. it's a good thing. It's, it's the tomato. Thing. The tomato is a weird food that you would never eat just by itself the way you'd eat an apple because you'd be a lunatic if you did that. <laughs> but there are 75 different foods you commonly eat at, that can be added to by tomatoes yes. and that people have different opinions on on all of them. I think this is a good thing. I'm a big tomato fan because I just think it's you love its versatility. Yeah, I just love it's it's like it's a uh, uh it's uh chone figgins. That's who it is. <laughs> it's a it's, it tomato plays every every single every position, position every position and is kind of and is good at many of them. Yes. Was it by the way, was it Sean or was it Chone? Do we know? It was Sean Figgins. I think it was with Sean? a C. I think it was Sean I think. I think it was Sean Figgins. I think I remember it being pronounced Sean, but then other people saying Chone because that's how it was spelled. Yes. I don't know. The point is good player. C H O N E Figgins <laughs> played like eight positions and was good at all of them yes. to varying degrees. I think that's what your tomato is. You so know what tomato, I mean? So tomato basically you're saying tomato can guard all five positions. Tomato is Draymond Green. Tomato <laughs> you can put you can put tomato on a point guard, you can put tomato at the five, tomato yes. can guard a center. We now we have to do a basketball team of all <laughs> foods. Of all vegetable basketball teams. <laughs> 
I think that's very critical that we do it all. Uh, all all right, we'll save that. Time. We've been talking for two hours. We'll save yes. that for next time. Next time, this is our tease. Are you ready for our tease? <laughs> Tune in to the next podcast where we do our all fruit and vegetable basketball <laughs> starting lineup. It's going to it's going to it's going to blow your mind and it'll be worth the eight dollars that we're, it's going to cost you. to. Be oh, my, it'll be worth 16. It'll be worth two months of listening Ooh, to the podcast. Absolutely. Easy. Without so question. Perfect. Well, as always, Mike, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me, Joe. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.